Well, good morning. Anybody awake out there? Or is this thing on? All right. <laughs> uh, I hope and pray you had a, a great week. Um, a redemption. And we hear that word. You know, we might think of a story of impossible odds where the deck is stacked against the characters of the story. You can think of any masterpiece like Tolkien's masterpiece of Lord of the Rings to C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia. To any story worth its weight, redemption is in the mix. Think of even you know, Stephen King's you know, Shawshank Redemption, right? There is a problem, there is an evil. There is a story of overcoming that evil or problem. And then there is this wonderful conclusion of the whole story. And I thought about it for a time, and you know, every story in that mix of things has low points. And as we have seen throughout the book of Ruth, it takes place in an age when the judges ruled Israel. And as we come to the conclusion of Ruth, we see that the Lord is providing a way out of all that chaos. In the time that the judges ruled Israel, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Israel was full of rebellion, wars, civil unrest in the time of its history. But the book of Ruth is a high point in a story that if you read the book of Judges, you would see all the low points. This time of darkness and utter chaos. Redemption is defined as the act of regaining or gaining possession of something in exchange for a payment or clearing a debt. We saw Boaz had accomplished the redeeming of Ruth and Naomi out of their poor estate last week. And we see now that it points to our kinsman redeemer found in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, today, this week, we get to look upon the blessings of redemption as we close out our time in the study of the book of Ruth. Let's start with a word of prayer and then turn to the scripture. Father God, we, we thank you. Thank you for all of the help that you gave us this week. Thank you for protecting Henry and giving that OGBOIN the knowledge of what needed to happen. Lord, we just pray for all those on our prayer requests and all those unspoken prayer requests of, of people hurting and people lost and lonely throughout Simla and beyond. Lord, we pray for them all. Lord, we just pray for the church as a whole, be it gathered in Matheson, Ramah, or Simla, or this entire area, this entire world. We pray for all the churches that are local representatives of you, that they would be witnesses of the Lamb that has come to be slain for all of humanity. And pray for the equipping and the encouraging of the saints as we read your word, as we study it, Lord. Be with us in this time and help us uh, not worry about what needs to happen or what is happening or anything going on in the world. But, Lord, that we would take this time to just 
know you better and aim to please you throughout this life. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. And please turn your Bibles with me to Ruth chapter 4. It's always sad and cool at the same time when you get to the last time of saying that. Because every opportunity to open up the word of the Lord and study is a great blessing. Even if it's for five minutes on a work break, right? Ruth chapter 4 will be in verses 13 through 17. And the text states this. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. And the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a Redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel, and he shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child, laid him on her lap, and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him the name, a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Marriage and redemption are intertwined in the scripture. The picture of a bride and a bridegroom are seen throughout it. We actually hear this in Isaiah. Isaiah writes this, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My, sh my soul shall exalt in my God. For he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robes of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. Now, salvation is something that we receive, right? You know, Isaiah says he clothed me in garments of salvation, and we are clothed in these garments if we receive Christ Jesus by faith. And therefore, in the Lord, we are robed in righteousness. And we can see that pictured all the way through the Bible, even into Revelation, that those that trust in Christ Jesus by faith alone are robed in righteousness. They are given new garments. The Lord is that bridegroom. Jesus is the high priest. And for those that receive him, they are part of his bride, the church. And they are adorned with jewels. As Boaz now takes Ruth as his wife, we see a conclu the conclusion of the whole event, marriage. And as we've talked time and time again, I've brought this back up from Paul in Ephesians. As he explains marriage, he talks about this. He says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or such or any such thing, 
that she might be holy and without blemish. How cool is that, that Ephesians 5 and Isaiah 61 are so closely intertwined in what the Lord does, right? In this command to husbands, we see this picture of Christ's love for his bride, the church. And as Ruth and Naomi had been through all of the sadness and darkness and tears as the book started, all this brokenness of the world, they now enter this rich estate with great blessing. Even as they're living in the broken world, right? You know, salvation, eternal life starts now and goes on forever, right? It starts now with the great blessings and the great rich estate that we have been blessed in everything in the spiritual realms in Christ Jesus. Boaz has redeemed them. In Christ we are redeemed. We are sanctified and cleansed. We are without spot or wrinkle. Because when we are in him, we are without blemish. Because we are actually hidden in him, as Paul states in Colossians. This all happened, right? <clears throat> this all happened because Boaz took their debt. He became their redeemer. He paid all that was due. They are now blessed to live. And the same is with us in Christ Jesus. We trust the one who has taken our debt, who has paid it in full, and now we are blessed to live in him and wait glory with him. Now Ruth bears a son. The name of the dead will live on, right? That's the whole conclusion part that his name will not be cut off. For the Lord God is faithful and true. I love what the women of Bethlehem say to Naomi. They say, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be a restorer to you of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Right? It's, it's like so cool. Now they point to the Lord. You know, from a point of time, you know, Naomi understood and her thinking was that the Lord had testified against her, right? And now they all praise and are in amazement as she was at the end of chapter 3 that the Lord has not left Naomi. Nope, right? In fact, the Lord has worked in this time of darkness bringing forward his plan of redemption and we see it. We, we see it coming forward. Naomi, who was broken at the beginning of Ruth, is now full at the end. Her hands were empty at the beginning, and now her hands are full of a baby. For her daughter-in-law, and now her firstborn son, love her indeed. Naomi takes the child and becomes his nurse, and the women of the neighborhood tell of Naomi's son, this is like one of the only few texts in the biblical accounts that it's actually not the parents that named the child. I thought that was a really interesting. Some, some commentaries pointed that out. I'm like, yeah, I didn't. I never really even thought about that. That the women's actually the women actually name him, and it means servant. 
that he would bring renown to their name, that their name would not be cut out of the land of the living, but would become a renowned name. Naomi finds rest at the end of the book of Ruth. And we all await rest, right? After a long, hard day of work, we can't wait to eat some dinner and sit down and rest. But the thing about that is that worldly rest is temporary. The picture of rest found here is pointing us to the rest that we enter as we return to the Lord or as he comes to set up his kingdom. And the only way to enter that rest is through Christ the King. Through him we enter. Jesus says it time and time again. It's not to be missed. Not all roads lead to God. There's only one road. Jesus states this, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture, find rest, right? Yet again in John 14, 6, Jesus states it, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's not very multicultural of them. Come on, Jesus. Be loving. He is. As God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. And as the apostle Peter proclaims in Acts, he says there is no there is salvation in no one else. No one else. <clears throat> For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That's it. We can only receive redemption from our kinsman redeemer who has come for us, who is approachable, who is ready and willing to robe us. This is why we need to see in our day and age that no other religions, isms, self-help, or any other thing or person can get us there. No special prayer, no church attendance, no giving to charity can bridge the gap to God. Because God is not one to be bribed. No, we reap what we sow, right? God is not to be mocked. He knows every single heart. He knows all of humanity has gone this way, way one or, gone this way or another, trying to find their own way. And he knows even those that are great are hide, at, that are hiding it have all conceived sin. And therefore all of humanity is doomed to die. But thanks be to God, there is a way out. <clears throat> through the person and work, the, the person and the finished work of Christ Jesus, right? If we rest in that finished work, we are redeemed. <clears throat> the text of Ruth goes on, ending chapter 4 with verses 18 through 22. And see if I can butcher these names, but I try, I try. <laughs> In the end, it says, Now these are the generations of Perez. And Perez fathered Herzon, and Herzon fathered Ram, and Ram fathered Abimadad, and Abimadad fathered Naosh, and Naosh fathered Salmon, and Salom, and Salom fathered Boaz. And Boaz fathered Obed, and Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. 
this is an amazing little truth that commentaries pointed out is that this is the only book that actually records the genealogy of David from Judah. Perez is the son of Judah to David. We wouldn't have this part of the genealogy without the book of Ruth. How cool is that? The book of Ruth ends with David's genealogy, his family tree. So Perez is the son of Judah. His mother was actually Tamar, who is another Gentile in the tree. And from the tribe of Judah, we see the line of David. And we can hear it go all the way back from Genesis. And we can see it all the way in the book of Revelation. Jacob says this to his sons as he's on his deathbed. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. That's a little big, the little big prophecy, right? It's tiny. It's just a verse. It's Genesis 49.10. But it speaks wonders of the people of Israel, the tribes from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, would be ruled by a king from the tribe of Judah forever. That's not just talking about David and Solomon. That's talking about Jesus. Especially if you pair it with this. What is, what, what is said in Revelation. Revelation 5.5 5 states this. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more, right? The scroll can't be open. All these different things are happening in heaven. And John is witnessing them. And it says, Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. <coughs> Should have brought tea with me today. These point us to Jesus the Messiah, the anointed. One, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, He is conquered and He will rule the world one day. From Zion, from Jerusalem. Paul makes this point in Romans. Uh, please turn your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 1. The first, four, the first four verses state this. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in Holy Scripture concerning his son. And we just got to read one pretty unique one from Genesis that I, I really, it's, it's so awesome. And then this who was descended, descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. <clears throat> the Old Testament tells us someone is coming. Someone is coming to deal with a problem of sin and death. It's not Judah. I mean, just go read Genesis right there. It's not Perez. 
you know, read that whole story of him and Tamar. I mean, Genesis just shows you it's the whole the beginnings of all the sin and, and everything that we all deal with. It's not David. We read his account and we know that he's a sinner as well. We have to only look at the events of their lives recorded in Scripture and to see the truth that they're all broken. But yet they are a part of the genealogy of Christ Jesus. The redemption came forward through it all. That's the awesome thing about it is that the Lord is showing us the promise, is showing us the prophecies of the Messiah. And they all point to the one and only Jesus. The Jesus found in the first century. The Jesus seen in the four Gospels of the New Testament. And that is the truly amazing thing that God has revealed in the Bible. That out of all of this brokenness we see in our lives and the lives of everyone in Scripture, that He has brought redemption to bear upon humanity. For His only begotten Son has come to save us all. You know, the whole of Scripture tells us of a God, a good God, that made the heavens and the earth. He made us in his image, and he proclaimed that everything was very good, but man chose chaos. We disobeyed. We broke ourselves and the whole of creation. But God, being rich in mercy and love, set forth a plan to send his son here. If you turn to the genealogies of Christ, it's Adam is the start of that line. Then Noah, then Abraham, on to Isaac, Jacob, Judah, to David, all the way down to Mary and Joseph. It's a cord of love that tethers the entirety of Scripture together. So yeah, even if you don't like reading them in your yearly Bible plan, they're still really important, right? Especially if you can't say it, I'm dead. I can't even say it again. Uh, at least I said it then. <laughs> Um, it's an amazing chord of love. The book of Ruth paints us a grand picture of redemption, of the redeeming love of God who notices humanity in its broken and poor estate. And to those who receive him, he draws them out of that broken estate and sets them upon a rock. It pictures for us, especially at this end, the amazing blessings that come to those who shelter in the promises of the Lord God. One commentator pointed this out about Ruth. Ruth is one of three Gentile women in the genealogy of David, Tamar, Rahab, and Ruth. And they go on to say that Ruth's Gentile status is in fact highlighted as a reminder of God's divine intent in choosing Israel and establishing the Davidic Messianic dynasty, I love that word, in the first place to bring the blessing of the faith in the true God to all families of the earth, right? And that's exactly what Abraham is told by the Lord in Genesis 12.3. They also point out, that Ruth is the only real biblical woman to whom the expression woman of valor is applied. And one other commentator actually pointed this out in the Hebrew ordering of the books. 
Uh, it's actually Proverbs and then Ruth. So you would actually read Proverbs 31 and then you would turn to the book of Ruth and read it in the Hebrew reading of the text. So I thought that was, that was really cool. Though Ruth and Boaz dealt with sin, they're not perfect people like the rest of us, but they were contrasted in their very context with these words from the book of Judges. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. The book of Ruth offers us an event that captures the attention of the world because it points to our whole story. This was a, a fun story I found, about, found out about Benjamin Franklin as I studied this amazing book. <clears throat> when Benjamin Franklin was in Paris, after the Revolutionary War, he was ambassador to Paris. He would often uh, converse with members of the Infidel Club. I'm like, oh, that's an awesome name of a philosophy group. <laughs> a group of philosophers who spurned the Bible. These intellectuals spent much of their time searching for and discussing masterpieces of literature and art. For his amusement, Ben Franklin announced that he had found an ancient manuscript worthy of their consideration. We must hear it, they exclaimed. Franklin then read this to them the book of Ruth, changing the names and the characters and the location so that they would not recognize it as a story from the Bible. When he finished, the hearers were unanimous in their praise. We have never heard anything like it, they said. It was one of the most touching stories they have ever heard. Tell us where you found it. You can imagine Franklin's delight when he announced it was a story from the Bible, the objection of their object of their ridicule and disapproval. That was an amazing story. I think I've told it a couple times to different people, but I, I waited till the end to share it with, with everybody because it's, it's one of those stories that just, just touches everyone because it points us to our true estate we find ourselves in, poor and in need of redemption. But thankfully, there is a kinsman redeemer who is approachable and willing that paves the way for us to come home through the righteous requirements of the law and brings us all home. All we have to do is uncover his feet. All we have to do is look and be saved. All we have to do is earnestly seek him and find him. And when we rest in the and then we rest in the blessings of the new life found in Christ Jesus. The true rest is not here. We can taste it for sure. We can taste it. But the rest God offers us is dwelling with him forevermore. It goes in this order, as we saw in the book of John, the Gospel of John, resurrection, and then life. Here we will have trouble, suffering many things, but God is faithful. And if we are born from above, and my friends, we are born of God, right? That's what John states at the beginning of his gospel. And we have so much more to look forward to than the glory days of old, right? Especially when that knee hurts or whatever aches. Paul puts it like this in the book of Romans. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, 
but because of him who subjected it in hope that creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Now, there is a lot of pain and suffering in this world. Paul went through a fair share of it, but he looked at the present time along with the glory to be revealed to us and said it cannot compare because we have a God who is calling out to the world, come and reason together. Come be washed white as snow. He is wanting all to come to him. He is not wanting any to perish. So in his kindness, he draws us all to repentance. He is not slow as we count slowness, but he waits. God, through his Son and through the church and through the Holy Spirit, as we are not left to ourselves in this endeavor, command the whole world to repent. For the Lord has fixed the day where he will judge the world in righteousness by a man he has appointed. And we know it to be true by his resurrection, the resurrection of Christ Jesus. And the mission now is pointing humanity to the slain perfect lamb of God and telling of him, bearing witness of him, bearing witness of his wonder to others and pointing out to them the most historical verified truths that we've talked about as we've gone through Bo or gone through Ruth's book. The verified facts, the truth of the death of Jesus upon the cross, and then next to it is the resurrection of Jesus three days later. The implications are of eternal significance, pun intended. <laughs> of how we answer the Son of Man, what do you say of me? It's an amazing little book. Well, let's close in prayer. Father God, we thank you for today. We thank you for our time of study in the book of Ruth. Be with us as we go our separate ways and Bless us as we go about our day. May we aim to please you, Lord. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.